Okay, please have your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. And uh, last week we ended in verse 16. But uh, just before we get into today's broadcast, which will be verse 17, I want to take you back to 18.6. Paul uh, is in the context here, and it says, When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. May I say this to you all, that we are expected to witness for our Lord, as and when we can, to as many people as we can. And I think this scripture also cross-reference back to Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33 is still relevant for us. The Lord is going to hold us accountable at the judgment seat as to what we did once we were saved. And I've known some brothers over the years that got saved and did nothing for the Lord whatsoever. And I can think of two individuals who told me they were waiting for the Lord to speak to them, to tell them what to do. And yet they were told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Lord isn't going to visit you like he did to Paul. He won't knock you off your horse like he did Paul. He won't appear in a vision like he did to Peter. You are told from the word of God what to do. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. And here Paul one more time says, your blood be upon your own heads. That's about as serious as it can possibly get. I am clean. In other words, I'm not responsible. I'm clean of your blood. I won't be held accountable for your condemnation at the great white throne judgment. From henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. And I will spiritualize that and say, I will go to somebody else. If I witness to person A and they reject it, I'll go to person B. I won't spend my time going back and forth, beating a dead horse. As they say, there are many more fish in the sea. But let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in Acts 18, verse 17. Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of those things. You've got the second chief ruler found here in Scripture. There's one chap found back in verse 8, another chap found here in verse 17. This is unusual. Ask yourself this, when was the last time a cardinal got saved? When was the last time an Archbishop of Canterbury got saved? You have to really think hard, aren't you? When was the last time a Pope got saved? How about never? And yet here, in just half a dozen verses or so, you've got two chief rulers from two different synagogues getting saved. It's quite remarkable. Keep your hand in Acts 18 and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, take a look at verse 26, please. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to things that are, that no flesh to glory in his presence. He chooses the foolish things of the world. Not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are called. So if you are a saved person, and if you are highly esteemed in your circle, that's pretty good. But that's kind of rare, because scripture says that God hasn't called the wise, but he's called those that are foolish to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And one last time from 28. 
and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. That's incredible. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Keep your hand uh, in Acts 18, I'm up through there, and go to 1 Samuel, please. 1 Samuel 22. As I say, if you are somewhat uh, bright, if you are highly esteemed and you're saved, that's great. But you are the exception, not the norm. Uh, 1 Samuel, please. 1 Samuel 22. And there are three types of people that get saved in the Word of God. Three types of people. In conjunction to what I've just given you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at 1 Samuel, please. 1 Samuel 22. Let's start it in verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren or his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Very briefly, David is a type of Christ. And here David is on the run from Saul, who is a type of the Antichrist. And you've got two Sauls in Scripture. One starts good and ends bad, and one starts bad and ends good. Of course, one Saul is the king, and the other Saul will be Paul the Apostle. And here, David is on the run. But look at verse 2. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. You've got three groups of people that have gathered to David, and he's referred to here as being a captain. And Christ is referred to as being a captain of our salvation. But look, at, look at the breakdown in two. Those that were in distress, those that were in debt, and those that were discontented. If you are one of those three people, you can be saved. But I put it to you this morning, if you're not one of those three people, you will never be saved. That's why people like Donald Trump never get saved. Or Richard Branson. Or members of royalty. Because they got it all. Why would they want to be saved? Why do they want to give it all up and follow the Lamb? They wouldn't, of course. But if you are in distress, if you are in debt, if you are discontented, you can be saved. But you've got to humble yourself in order to be saved. You've got to come to the Lord in his terms, or don't bother coming at all. Turn back to Acts chapter 18, please. So just a very brief detour to further expand the scripture. And we are still in Acts 18. And you've still got this ruler from Achaia. We saw him last week from verses 12, 13, and 14. Galileo, or Galileo, who used to pronounce it. And it says how he cared for none of those things. Well, of course not. He's a bureaucrat. He won't get involved with the affairs of Israel. And like I said last week, I wouldn't expect him to. And yet saying that, I will say this, that those that bear the sword, uh, Romans chapter 13, are God's ministers. They are there to uphold law and order. They are there to protect the righteous and condemn the unrighteous. So we should pray for those in authority. And I see much material online, people attacking presidents and prime ministers and kings and queens and saying some pretty nasty things about them, which may be justified, but you are told to pray for them. And it's very rare that I hear sermons from preachers telling you to pray for those in authority. And I will say it's very briefly that what those men and women do is very difficult. Yes, they may be involved with secret societies. Yes, they may be unsaved. And yes, they may be covering up all sorts of wickedness and so on and so forth. But they are there by the good pleasure of the Lord God. And therefore, we as Bible believers are to pray for them. You were never told to vote for them. You were never told to canvass for them. You were never told to raise money for them and their party and their uh, election campaigns and so on and so forth. But you were told to pray for them. But let's push on, please. 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. 
and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centraea, for he had a vow. This is interesting, it says, how he took his leave of the brethren. I want to apply for annual leave. I was granted leave. Such a modern term. I want leave to go on holiday, or as the Americans say, vacation. I need to apply in advance for my leave. And here, after this, Paul tarried there yet a good while, and then took leave of the brethren. He took his leave of the brethren. Now, I won't say he was in submission to the church in verse 18, but he did make himself available to the church. And I showed you last time from Acts 15, when that conference was concluded, how they were dismissed. And that's an interesting word, to dismiss someone. It's like a school assembly. You go to an assembly, or when you were at school, you had an assembly, I know I did. And when the assembly would end, you were dismissed. You were told to leave. You were officially uh, dismissed. You were told to vacate uh, the assembly hall. It's a very official term. But it says how Paul tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, his lieutenants, having shorn his head, very Old Testament, the type of thing a Nazarene uh, wouldn't be allowed to do. He wasn't allowed to cut his hair, but here Paul's going to shave his hair. And Paul wasn't a Nazarene, by the way. From memory, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And it says how he shorn his head, how he shaved his head in Centraea, for he had a vow. He's still taking vows. He's still trying to, to be a faithful Jew and at the same time be faithful to the Gentiles. It was a very fine line that the first century church walked. We'd be told in First Corinthians chapter 9, how Paul was all things to all that he may win some to the Lord. To the Jew he became a Jew, to the Greek he became a Greek. And he could do it. And yet it grieves me when I listen to people preaching today that we Gentile believers in the Lord are expected to do stuff such as this. We are expected to keep the Sabbath or we are expected to keep the feast days, or we are expected to abstain from this or that. And I've spent so much time over the last probably five or six years trying to make the case that we are free from the law. But here Paul is going to be all things to all that he may win some to the Lord. And I've heard some people even criticize Paul for this. I heard one brother a little while ago condemn Paul for this. And he was arguing that Paul went back under the law to resurrect the old man, uh, Romans chapter 6, in order to witness to the Jews. Now, I think that's a little harsh on Paul, but let's read on and see what further light we can get from this unique scripture for the first century church. 19. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. The Jews are the people of God, and the Jews would meet in a synagogue on a typical Sabbath. It's as simple as that. 2,000 years later, Jews are still meeting in synagogues. But the Gentile believers would meet in people's homes. If you want to really understand that, look at James chapter 2. And get a hold of the TR, the Textus Receptus. And it says, if somebody comes into your synagogue, and the King James translates that in assembly. But James was a Jew writing to the Jews. The 12 tribes of Israel, James 1.1. 1, 1. And it says, if somebody comes into your synagogue wearing a nice ring, wearing a nice garment, don't treat them with undue respect. So you see the Jews would meet in synagogues, they would get saved like this chap in 8 and this chap in 17 which must have sent shockwaves without the word of jury I would imagine and those synagogues became places of worship where they worshipped Jesus Yeshua as they call him 
in spirit and in truth. But Paul is going to witness to the Jews. And yet, I read it to you, 18.6, From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he's still preaching to the Jews. And it's like a tag team, if you will. On the one hand, Peter is preaching to the Jews. That was his remit. And yet sometimes he'd be preaching to the Gentiles. And yet Paul was sent to the Gentiles. And here he's preaching to the Jews. And I think that goes back to my earlier message, how we should be all things to all people. We should be ready in season and out of season to preach the gospel. And I'll say this to you, that you have to be mature enough to understand that people aren't going to receive the gospel. When I first got saved 14 years ago, I thought everybody would be saved. I was naive. I was foolish. I was so full of the Holy Ghost. I was so happy. I was on cloud nine, as they say, that I really thought my friends and family, my then work colleagues, my uh, circle of friends, my acquaintances, so on and so forth, would receive the gospel. And I wrote to many people that I had known, friends, work colleagues, family, to witness to them. And I sent tracts out to many people, maybe over 100 people, and I got no response whatsoever. And here I am, 14 years later, standing here this morning, reading Acts 18 to you. And as far as I know, not one of those people got saved. So, on the one hand, yes, you should be... Uh, busy for the Lord, you should be on fire for the Lord, you should be happy, you should be joyful, you should be rejoicing in your salvation, and yet at the same time, don't kid yourself, you're not going to get a great revival. We are living in the last days, and I've said this before, and i said it again, that I think we are right at the end of the church age. People aren't responding to the gospel like they were five years ago, and yet my contacts around the world are telling me that many Jews are coming to the Lord, and many Muslims are coming to the Lord. It's their time. But 19, he goes into a synagogue and reasons with the Jews. Those Jews could have been saved. And I've heard people condemn the Jews. And they've said some pretty disgusting things about the Jews, which is out of order. They are beloved for their father's sakes. And if you are premillennial, you should love the Jews. You should witness to the Jews. You should pray for the Jews. And you should pray for Israel. Never give up on a Jew. 20, when they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. For I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. This is wonderful. Some Jews didn't want him to leave. Some Jews desired him to tarry longer time with them. Don't go yet, Paul. What you're telling us is wonderful. This sounds like we want to know more. But understand this, that the main reason why the Jews rejected Christ was because he didn't bring in the kingdom. Now, to be fair to the Jews... I'll say this very quick as a footnote, that when the Old Testament prophets wrote the Old Testament, the Jewish Tanakh, they wrote about the first and the second coming. There was no gap in the middle. There was no church age revealed to them. That would be given to Paul the Apostle, which covers the grace of God, of course. So the Jews would read something like uh, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Isaiah, uh, let's see now, Isaiah 26, uh, Malachi chapter 5, excuse me, Micah chapter 5, there's only four chapters in Malachi, uh, and they would see the Messiah, they would see he would be coming, he would be achieving something uh, pretty substantial for them, Daniel 9, another good scripture, but they couldn't see the church age, and therefore when Christ arrives, he does miracles left, right, and center, nobody could dispute that, and yet, where's the kingdom, Jesus? Give us our kingdom, put a real Jew back on the throne, and of course Christ comes, first of all, First Advent, as the son of Joseph, the suffering saviour. 
second coming, son of David, to rule and reign. So let's not be too hard on the Jews. They were very knowledgeable when it came to their scriptures. And yet the problem was they didn't have faith in the scriptures. And you get that from John chapter 5. But here, Paul, as always, is very busy. He is clocking up his air miles. And it says how he must, by all means, 21, keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. But this isn't relevant to you if you are a Gentile. Paul was a Jew, one more time. And he's going to go up to Jerusalem for the feast days. There's about half a dozen from memory throughout a typical year. And he's going to witness to the Jews about Jesus. So I'm not going to condemn Paul like one particular brother did and say he was going back under the law to get the gospel out. I think that's a bit too hard on him. But Jerusalem is where he is now heading to, the eternal city, not Rome. But I will return again unto you, if God will. That's right, if God wills it. And he sailed from Ephesus, 22. When he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he came down to Antioch. Ephesus, Caesarea, Antioch. But of course his destination is Jerusalem. This man was traveling like I said last week, he wrote 14 epistles, if you give him Hebrews, which by my estimation works out to be 0.4 of a book per year. He wouldn't write dozens of books. He wouldn't write encyclopedias. He was an active soul winner. And Paul was not a Calvinist. Paul was not an Arminian. He thought it was possible for all men everywhere to be saved. That was the message we got from Acts 17, the week before last. And, uh, Peter would tell you how the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but come to repentance. So I plead with my brethren, those of you which are born again, to do what you can. Never give up. It can be disillusioning at times when you pound the streets. And I've done it for 14 years now. And you speak to people and you plead with people to be saved. And they turn the Lord down time after time. They turn him down. And of course, you know that if you don't witness to them, Acts 18, 6, you are going to be responsible for their blood at the judgment. That's how serious this is. Antioch, of course, 22, would be modern-day Syria. And it shows you the ground that the apostles would cover. In fact, 24 speaks about a town called Alexandria in Egypt. You've got Israel, you've got Syria, you've got Egypt. The Middle East belongs to the Jews. But we know through their sin, through their apostasy, they were dispersed. But let's read on. 23, please. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Pygaia in order, strengthening all the disciples. A disciple is a saved sinner. That's what it is. A disciple is somebody who is saved. You don't become a disciple by doing something. If you have believed in the Lord, you are a disciple. And you get saved just like that. And yet I'll tell you something. If you want to become a Catholic, you get a long period of time where they initiate you into the system. And the priest will spend weeks initiating i think it's the rica from memory the rica and the rica is a pretty broad um system which has been designed by the catholic church to initiate the new catholic into the system and you have to believe in everything that the catholic church teaches and the word of god says if you believe in the son you have everlasting life in fact i'll say this very briefly if you were to join a typical plymouth brethren assembly they will want to know who you are and where you came from. And they will say to you, which assembly has referred you to us? And they do what's called the letter exchange, which is referred to here in 27. I'll get this shortly. You can't just turn up at a typical brethren assembly and start breaking bread. 
You can't just turn up at a typical brethren assembly and ask to be baptised. They want to know who you are and what you are. They are very thorough, and I think they border on lordship salvation. And yet Paul would tell you in 1 Corinthians that when he came to Corinth, all he wanted to know was Jesus Christ among them. Some people are too nosy. On top of that, some people want to know all about you before they decide whether you can become a member of their church or not. But here, Paul's gone from Galatia to Pygaia, strengthening all the disciples. Build them up, of course. It's a great thing to be saved. It's a great thing to do what we do at this ministry. But on top of that, we have to build people up. We have to strengthen the disciples. And we strengthen the disciples by doing services such as this, by producing verse-by-verse Bible studies, by doing correspondence with people. I think it's the least we should do to build them up in the faith. 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Here he is, Apollos. Mighty in the scriptures, a very eloquent man, and he's come from Ephesus. You've got Greece, you've got Turkey, you've got Syria, you've got Egypt. It shows you how fast the word of God was spreading. And yet today these countries are either Islamic or secular. A certain Jew named Apollos, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. No doubt, seeking Paul and co. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Matthew chapter 3, be baptized, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. Acts chapter 2, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins. Old Testament teachings. Paul comes along and he completely modernizes the gospel approach. Now to be fair to Paul, he went to the third heaven, Peter didn't. And therefore, Paul has more knowledge of these things. He was given greater scope. He was given greater uh, privileges over what Peter was given. And that is another scripture to undermine the false notion that Peter was a pope. If Peter was the pope, wouldn't he have gone to the third heaven? Wouldn't Peter have written 14 epistles? But no, it would fall to Paul to be shown a third heaven, so on and so forth. But this man, a Jew, 24, born in Alexandria, Egypt, needs some help. He's not quite there yet. And this goes back to 23, strengthening all the disciples. Look at 26, please. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expanded unto him the way of God more perfectly. You've got two groups of Jews here, saved, of course. You've got one chap called Apollos who doesn't yet understand the gospel or the grace of God. He is saved, of course, but he needs somebody to help him. You've got another group of Jews here, Aquila and Priscilla, who've come from Rome, who were expelled due to anti-Semitism. And they've heard this man preach, this young man, I think. They're very impressed with him, but he needs some help. He needs to be discipled. And therefore, they are going to expound unto him the way of God more perfectly. That term, expound the scriptures. Exegete the scriptures. A term we use every day of the week for those of us, of course, which are Bible teachers. 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, shown by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. We call it apologetics. The brethren wrote, 27, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And that still goes on to this day. If you go into a typical brethren assembly, they will write to one another. And they will say, please receive person A. He's been a part of our fellowship for X amount of time. He's a great brother, or she's a great sister, and we can recommend them. 
Now, as far as I know, the Brethren are the only church that does this. Most churches don't uh, follow this tradition. But it says, when he was come, help them much which have believed through grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense, the just shall live by faith. If he mightily convinced the Jews, you've got a saved Jew witnessing to unsaved Jews, wonderful. And that publicly, he wasn't ashamed. It would have been done via local synagogues and maybe possibly on the street as well. Shown by the scriptures, the Old Testament, the Jewish Tanakh, that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, when I speak to a Gentile, I don't show them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. That means nothing to a Gentile. I show a Gentile that Christ is the saviour of the world, John chapter 4. And I will use the scriptures to show a typical Gentile that he's no good. And I do it via the Ten Commandments. But here, you've got a saved Jew witnessing to unsaved Jews from the Old Testament. They knew they were no good. They knew they were sinners like we know we're sinners. So he didn't need to go to the Ten Commandments to show them they were no good. He will go to probably Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and Daniel chapter 9, no doubt. And he will expound from the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Such a remarkable time for the early church. So there you are, 28 verses from Acts chapter 18. And uh, just keep Acts 18.6 in your minds, please, if you are saved. Uh, on top of that, you got anti-Semitism from this chapter in reference to the Emperor Claudius from verse 2, but their expulsion resulted in them being great friends and allies to Saul of Tarsus, who, as I say, started bad and ended good, whereas King Saul started good and ended bad. Many types in the scriptures, many types and shadows, but no time to really elaborate on that this morning. You've got Paul shaving his head, taking a vow, rushing to Jerusalem to keep the feast from 21, which was only relevant to him, not you. And he would speak to the Jews at Jerusalem, in Hebrew, no doubt, you can't do that. And he would go into a typical synagogue and preach to the Jews in Hebrew, you can't do that. And they knew who he was. And he would tell them about the Messiah, and they would listen to him, whereas a Jew would not listen to you. If you were to go into a typical synagogue on a typical Sabbath and attempt to preach to them, they wouldn't give you the time of day. In fact, I'll tell you this, there's a synagogue in Salford, and we were there last summer. We walked past it several times, and they have security on the gate. And they will not allow a Gentile to go in to their premises. So you won't even get the ability to go in and speak to the Jews. And you can't blame the Jews. They are suspicious of Gentiles. You can't blame them. Look, you know, look, look, look what they've been through over the last 2,000 years. Persecuted, driven out of their countries, murdered by Hitler and Stalin. And yet, by the grace of God, they are still with us to this present day, which is a great proof to me that not only are they the chosen race, but that God is true and every man is a liar. One last time, 28, and I'll close. For he, Apollos, mightily convinced the Jews. Spiritualize that to the Gentiles. Spiritualize that to your friends and family. And that publicly, don't keep this to yourself. Share the gospel. Shown by the scriptures, Old Testament and the New Testament, that Jesus was Christ, that Yeshua was the Messiah, that Jesus was a promised one. And I think it's a great scripture to end this message today. And I'm out of time, so I'll pick it up next week in Acts chapter 19.